right, everyone. Well, I hope you all are doing well and welcome to another episode of the Originative Podcast. So today we have an interview with an amazing artist uh, who is uh, the owner of Gobs of Color, which is her art store. And she is extremely talented and has done many murals and paintings in the Seattle area. So you should go check them out. And uh, she is Blackfeet and Cree on her mother's side with mixed European descent on her father's side. So welcome, Megan. And thank you so much for coming. I'm looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is really cool. This is the first time I've done something like this. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So I was wondering if you could just start off by sharing a bit about yourself, your background, and How specifically did you figure out that art was your passion? Okay, well, a little bit about me. Um, gosh, (laughs) where to start? Well, like you said, on my mom's side, that's where my native family is. My grandma, she was enrolled Blackfeet, but her dad is Cree. Her dad was Cree, and I really spent a lot of my time growing up. In my very, very early years, when my parents were still married, we lived in Southern Florida, but I don't really remember it. I just remember when my parents divorced and then we moved in with my grandma, with my mom, my my brother and my sister. And we lived in Western Montana in Helena and Mm -hmm. around Billings and Laurel and that kind of area. But I remember spending a lot of time with my native family, my cousins, my aunties, my uncle, my great uncle, and yeah, just growing up around a lot of Native art. And my grandma always beaded and she always had stuff around and she had different paintings. They were always really colorful and vibrant. And and I really remember the Ardley powwow in Montana. I really remember running around as a child there and having fun. And um, I think it's the Labor Day powwow in Helena or Missoula. I don't remember, but I remember spending a lot of time and running around with my cousins there. That was so that a lot of those really like I still hold on to those when I think of family, especially is how close and how it feels like my grandma really helped raise me. Mm-hmm. And I guess for your question about art, when I was really young, And with one of the places that we had to move to with my grandma, she always got me these art sets for Christmas because I loved drawing when I was young. And my mom would tell me that I was always drawing as soon as I could walk, basically. I'd draw on anything I could find. And my grandma, she really was the first one to really, really encouraged it. And I very vividly remember this one time around Christmas, she told me to basically to never stop and to keep going with art and that I had a gift and she wanted me to keep sharing it with others. And that's something that's always really, really stuck with me. And, you know, when I first, when I first started coloring and everything and painting, I began with watercolors and just on construction paper, just random things here and there. And it just helped me feel better. It distracted me from a lot of the hardships I went through as a child and when I was a teenager in high school and we had to move over here to uh, Western Washington, just north of Seattle, uh, it was it was an especially hard time for me. My grandma had passed away. We didn't get to see her. And I was just very angry for several years. And thankfully, my, my school, my, my high school had a really amazing art program. 
and my art teacher she basically helped take me under her wing and I didn't realize for years until she had told me that you can help process emotions through art and it felt so raw at the time but it also was a nice release and it and it showed me that it was a positive way to express myself without hurting anybody or without hurting myself and it was something that no one else could touch it was something that I could do something that felt like for the first time something that felt like it was mine and that's and then through college uh, another art teacher who was, I was very fond of, my painting instructor, instructor, she helped further nurture that and helped me process more things. But she showed me that I could start making a living with it and that there were possibilities through grants and scholarships. And I just kind of didn't give up. I didn't really have a plan initially. When I went to college, I just thought, okay, get my associates and then go from there. But she really helped, she really helped shape who I wanted to become, I guess, and really just keep following art. And I've had so many twists and turns and who I wanted to, who I thought, what I thought I wanted to do, what I thought I wanted to pursue. And for many years, still being afraid of going for being an artist because there's a lot of uncertainty with it but it's the one thing that I truly enjoy doing and that I keep at it no matter what so that's kind of a long explanation but I hope that answers some things for you yeah for sure thank you for that and that's super inspiring to see that you're really pursuing your passion it's something I think we can all sort of learn from trying to emulate in our lives. So sort of following up on that, um, you mentioned that your grandma had a lot of influence on your interest in pursuing art. So can you sort of describe what sort of art you used to see uh, back in Montana and what was the art culture like there? Gosh, from what I can remember, I don't have a very good memory, (laughs) but from what I can remember and what has stuck with me is how colorful it is and how colorful it can be. Because for me growing up, I was always very inspired by the vibrancy of what the land could look like. Mm-hmm. And especially from like sunsets, for example, those were some of my favorites. Or looking at certain water, it can almost look like it's turquoise in the right lighting during the summertime or early spring when there's uh, less fire danger. But Definitely um, when we would go to different powwows with my grandma, my grandma always had, she was always beating peyote, single stitch peyote um, lanyards. They they were just a little bit bigger than lighters and very s- s- cylindrical, but they were always very vibrant and they were very ornate patterns. And I always, from what I remember most is like very much a lot of, saturated colors very vibrant and kind of like I have a personal love of the primary scheme and going off of that from reds blues and yellows and going off from that and then in a lot of blankets even from what I remember growing up in Montana there's always the fire and water scheme a blue or a turquoise blue 
red, orange, yellow, and then white. It's a very, it's a color scheme that I love. It's one of my favorite color schemes. And then when I came over here, I've started to learn more about different Native artists from Montana. And I can see a lot of my influences from, you know, my, my tribe, my tribes. And there's different Native artists of the Blackfeet tribe that use very, very vibrant colors that I find myself using. So I think it's a big part of it is this, this tribal use of this Blackfeet and Plains, the Northern Plains use of color and how vibrant and how it's, it's like the colors are almost alive. And that's what I love so much about. And that's what I hope to keep going with my art is the, the sense that the colors are alive. And that's a lot of what I still love is Northern Plains art and how colorful it is. Sorry about that. Um, so I, yeah, that's really wonderful. Um, I think the fact that you said like keeping colors alive, I think that's really beautiful. And that makes me wonder, uh, gobs of color, is, is that sort of related to that idea of keeping colors alive? It wasn't at first when I first thought of it, I was thinking very literally about when I paint, I like to, my palettes are always really messy <laughs> and they're always like globbed on and dried paints and all kinds of crazy colors. But I definitely think of like gobs of color when I actually paint is, I always have those thick dabs of paint on my trays. Or I just go right from the bottle and I just dip my brush into the bottle and go right to the surface I'm painting on. But as I've continued on through this journey, uh, that's really like kind of a goal as I want the overall piece to feel very much alive with the colors. So it wasn't an overall go when I first started this, but yeah, to sum it up, it's something I'd hope to keep going with. That's really cool. And can you sort of describe how you get inspiration for your art pieces? And how do you come up with an idea of what you want to paint? Oh, gosh. Hmm. For coming up with pieces for my art, it's different. It, different, it really depends. With my beaded horse, that, um, with my beaded horse, when I was growing up, I always thought of that is because I love thunderstorms and in Western Montana, they have the most wonderful thunderstorms. And it's also, <laughs> and I always thought of like horses stampeding through and that's kind of how, and my love of storms and, and that's kind of like, it felt so alive. So I kind of combined my love of horses and thunderstorms and to create this like idea of this, sky horse and that's where that came from and I just love nature and almost like fairy tales or mythology and that these and kind of anthropomorphizing what nature is into this animal spirit in a lot of ways or how can I tell a symbolized story somehow and yeah just playing on with my love of different types of animals and what does the symbol of this animal mean and how can I tell that story? That's something I really love doing. That's really cool. And um, I know you also had a drawing uh, like the wolf in fire. What was the inspiration for that painting? For that piece, that was 
that one kind of has a longer story to it. For that piece, a friend of mine, actually a childhood friend of mine from a long time ago in Montana, she had asked me to paint her a painting of a wolf, but she kind of wanted that same energy that I had of my of my bear and my snake painting, because that's one of the favorites of that people have of mine. And she wanted that same sort of energy of the eyes and the animal and the gazing at you. And, it, and I just wanted to think about, you know, what do wolves mean as a positive symbol for people? And I just felt of bravery and it just kind of happened for the wolf. It just kind of like, I, I, I don't plan out what the colors are going to be beforehand. They just kind of, it's just kind of like what feels right in the moment. And it was like, and then it just kind of became this wolf that was coming out of this purple fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's so gorgeous. And I'm pretty sure I've actually seen this um, many places. I used to live in Iowa before, and I have a feeling I've I've seen this even there before somewhere. Oh, that would be really cool if it was <laughs> in Iowa. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how I've seen it, but it seems very familiar to me and it's, it's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. So in terms of your artwork, you do like so many mediums, right? You've done like beadwork, painting, uh, all sorts of things, like making earrings as well. Like if you had to pick one, which one would you say is like your favorite and most enjoyable? Hmm. I always, I like to say that painting is my first love. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's just, it was just the first thing that I had touched, you know, mm -hmm. and it's definitely what I'm faster at. <laughs> and I, I don't know how to explain it, but there's just something very satisfying about watching the process of paint, of brush strokes, and how colors can interact right next to each other. And it's almost like it puts me in a trance state. Mm -hmm. And with and it's like you can you don't have to necessarily worry about how you're feeling you can just let it go because there is a teaching that I have from my grandma with beadwork that she said to never bead angry and I can understand why she said that back then because you know there's a lot of this belief that you put what you what that feelings the energies that you have you would put that into your beadwork and you don't want someone else carrying that medicine around but there's also the practical reasoning why is because you'll probably end up breaking needles or fraying your thread or breaking beads, you know, so then you'll just get frustrated and you'll just cause more damage and beads and threads and all that stuff is expensive. <laughs> so I can understand that meaning too. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what significance does beadwork have in your culture? It's something that's that's really significant. And I don't know the very, very beginning origins of what my tribe used before beads. I'm guessing like we had used maybe some like different appliques of like different shells or different seeds and things like that onto our work or elk teeth or trading with dentalium. But with beads, we had definitely traded with you know, there's different tribes we traded with, or there's European settlers we traded with. And that's where beads came from. Like there's the modern Czech beads are very what we had today, 
but there was probably different French beads because a lot of the French came in through uh, Canada and that's where the big part of the Blackfoot and the Cree tribes are is definitely in Canada but they're also around in Montana too and the Cree spread all across and more eastward too and the significance is it's like you know depicting a story like telling about like the process of a certain the process of what a strawberry might look like or different medicinal plants or what your family's not insignia but symbol is or what your tribe you know there's different meanings to different patterns and there's different family histories but a lot of it is always about telling a story and beadwork you know it was seen as beadwork is seen as something important to carry and important to pass on it's it's still very traditional and because what a lot of the um, plains tribes would use too not just the blackfeet and Cree, would be quill work and different ways of using quill work and dyeing them and, and using bark dyes or flower dyes or berry dyes for the old patterns but now there's still people who use contemporary quill work and that's still about showing the patterns and it's about showing wealth and and talent and who your family is and what skills you're able to nurture it, there's always a about a sense of beauty and pride in your in your hides in your home and who you are so there's a lot of layers to why it's so significant for not just me and my family you know but for different tribes across the country and Canada Mm-hmm. And since it is so, you know, culturally significant, do you think that a lot of that practice has been preserved over time and passed down from generations? Oh, definitely. There's this sort of great, like, bead awakening that I've been noticing. And it's been so great to see that um, more people are reclaiming what their family once lost. Or what wasn't able to be passed down to them or what was almost taken away. You know, it's still holding on to that part of our culture. Even if beadwork does become more, you know, contemporary in symbols or, or, you know, it's also being used to help um, families eat and make money and pay for the homes, keep roofs over their heads. And that's something that's been amazing to see people being able to make a living off of beadwork or beadwork coming into the eyes of fashion and Western fashion and making it into Vogue or other fashion magazines, for example, that some, some people have been able to do. And that's all about showing that, you know, beadwork is still alive and native people are still alive and that we're still here and thriving because to me, beadwork shows us a symbol of, you know, also survival and pride and that like, yeah, we are still here and we still will be here because it's still being passed on to youth and, and like sons and daughters and other youth today too. And that's amazing to see. Like, I, I'm so happy that beadwork is still around and that there's so many modern colors and that the bead trade is still very much alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, in terms of other traditional arts, do you think it's 
um, more better preserved or how, how are other types of artwork doing in terms of preservation? I'm actually very close to a, um, a coiled basket weaver. Her name is Carol Amarthly Douglas. She's enrolled Northern Arapaho, but she's also Seminole too. And she's telling, she often is concerned with me about how basketry is kind of struggling because she often goes to different uh, art fairs and, and, and art markets. And she says that a lot of the older weavers, you know, they're passing away or they're just not able to weave anymore. And she's worried about basketry and how she hopes that more people more young people actually take up basket weaving like they would take up uh, beadwork and you know beadwork because now of how it is it's like seen as high fashion and the appeals of youth and maybe it's easier to sell in some ways than weaving is and I don't know how well I know that uh, the painting market is very very saturated and very competitive but when it comes to, you know, other markets and other forms of art, it's harder to make it not necessarily appealing, but it's sometimes it's harder to keep the focus to pass on that tradition, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And there's different the different materials and forms of weaving. So I know that in this region, there's a lot of cedar bark weavers and bear grass and there's there was these events called weavers teaching weavers but you know she she expressed to me as an artist that she still is very worried about weaving and she hopes that more young people get into weaving mm -hmm. and sort of going off of that um if you sort of reflect upon your journey as an artist can you share some challenges you might have had and how were you able to deal with them? Hmm. One challenge that I could very vividly remember when I was younger, particularly in high school, when I started questioning more about what I want to do and what are the expectations on me versus my peers. Right. And I didn't really have any uh, native friends in high school. I was in a very, I was in a very, predominantly white well-off area and I was very <laughs> I, I'm very much more mixed and and I'm not very wealthy at all <laughs> and I don't come from a wealthy family and I, I didn't even really meet very many people who were mixed like I was mm -hmm. and there's a lot of expectations for from um, people who are well-off and these expectations of, well, you have to just go to university right after high school. You just have to. That was like how a lot of my peers acted. And I, honestly, that's kind of sad because it's kind of like from the pressures of their parents on them. And for whatever reason, you know, like these ideas get passed down. And I never really had that growing up. I was kind of like, you know, just like don't get in trouble and do what you can kind of thing. And, and in some ways, I did have some pressure that like, well, with art, you know, people didn't think you could do anything with it. And since I had been away from my my native family, you know, like even then, like there's a lot of struggling and, you know, it's hard being an artist and a lot of self-doubt and a lot of, it felt like 
shame of like, well, I can't afford to go to university. I even with some scholarships, you know, like, I don't know what I want to do. And this sort of sense of anxiety. But then a teacher thankfully told me like, you know, there's options, you can go to community college. And that's what I did. I still didn't know what I was doing. But what helped me through it was encouragement from my painting teacher and applying to some uh, scholarships through this semester, throughout the semesters and quarters of, or excuse me, just the quarters of the college. And just seeing that you just have to do it. And I just really, it was, it can be really hard sometimes to feel all this self-doubt of like, well, I don't know anyone personally who is a professional artist. You know, I just don't. And then at one point in my community college time, I found this native club and I was able to see other native students and they all had their different goals. But then we hosted an annual spring powwow. And I was able to see these native vendors these artists sell their work and be able to travel and go to other powwows or go to different markets. And it, it was at this time that I met um, my boyfriend, who, who I also consider, you know, probably my best friend too. And he's Northern Arapaho, Seminole, and Haida. So, and his mom, Carol, she She's the one that I was able, who was really, those two are probably like my biggest encouragers. So it's, it's often really hard even now to question what I'm doing or, or my price is too high. Like, oh, I'd never be able to sell something like for what it's worth. You know, I'd never be able to do that. But these two often are like my biggest cheerleaders and they continue to encourage me. And it's really important for me to see Carol as a professional artist for over 30 years or so, or close to 30 years, and as a woman, and to see other Native artists and companies like Bethany Yellowtail, Jamie Okuma, and so many other artists through social media be able to pursue this. It's, it's exactly what I needed to see. You need to see, you know, to see successful artists be able to do things. And it can kind of help you get out of your head a little bit sometimes. Sometimes it's so hard. Sometimes you just need to take a, take a break, breathe, and like walk away from something for a little bit, do some self-care, and then go back to it. It's so hard sometimes. But to see if you find your circle of inspiration or your circle of friends or those close to you who just continue to believe in you. You know, that's sometimes what you have to do. You can't do this alone is, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. You need help from other people and that's okay. I, starting in this journey, I felt very alone, but then I realized that I have people to look up to and people to confide in. And that's what's really important is to find people to look up to and talk to because more often than not people if people will have some time to talk to you if you need it those were some 
very beautiful words of wisdom. And as a current high schooler myself, I can relate to a lot of that, uh, the, the idea of, you know, self-doubt and, and worrying. So I think it's definitely a lot of growth and change all at once, but it's very inspiring and especially for me to hear that from you. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, at high school is so hard. I really, really feel for you, <laughs> but <laughs> stick with it and do what feels right for you. And it, it <laughs> I, now I can understand why I'd be like, oh, please. Now she's going to say it gets better. Sure, whatever. <laughs> but it does, I promise. I promise it eventually gets better and you'll feel better. But it's one of the roughest times. Definitely. So, you know, I thought it was really interesting that uh, you talked about how there's a quite a vibrant culture of artists. You know, once you get to know about it, you sort of get inspired from that. So uh, could you maybe talk about the the artist scene in the Seattle area? How is it with Native artists and cultures? Hmm. Well, basically, I know that there's a ton of artists around the Seattle area, but I don't know where outside of the native circle I don't necessarily know who all they are or I don't know big Seattle names outside of some native artists that I know sometimes with it is like you know it's all about oh you're interested in art well I happen to know this person and a professor an old professor of mine in community college um gosh several years ago he had asked he had had me reach out to Andrew Morrison this Haida and Apache artist and he has done some huge murals in the Seattle area and he has this big these huge murals and he's very well known around the area and he's since gone on to do other things but I was able to sort of be his assistant for a few weeks and that was really really cool and help him paint some murals and that was something, you know, I never expected to happen. And then you sort of start to look around and see what other artist opportunities there are. And there's, for a sort of hub for artists around the area, there's a little further south in Olympia, there's the Evergreen Longhouse. They often have funds for native artists. They often have their holiday markets or different markets throughout the year. There's the Tulele Pibulb Cultural Center, and they often have different art classes, or there's uh, the First Peoples Fund. There's the Daybreak Star Cultural Center. They have different markets, and it's all about finding where your cultural hubs are and then seeing what they have and then being able to go to that's where I was able to find out about different markets and getting encouragement to go to these different markets and then just through you know friendly networking I was able to find out about the Duwamish longhouse and their markets and just being on good terms with people and then trying your best on social media as hard as that can be but some people do find you through it and yeah it's it's 
it's an adventure to say the least but and then just getting to know other artists and befriending other artists even locally that you do meet at a at a vending opportunity or something like that you never know you might be able to collaborate on something even for fun you know it doesn't have to be money making all the time but just getting to know people around you and just getting out of that comfort zone to talk to people or seeing what the Seattle Indian Health Board has been up to like they they were really the ones who helped encourage me more and more and more which was you know to my big surprise but they really helped me out a lot through the years I had just you know I, I initially started there back in 2017 as just an as a administrative assistant basically and somehow word got out about my artwork and then you know, things just kind of snowball in a good way or applying to different sh- shows wherever you can and just trying things. If you find opportunities, just going for them and being able to accept that you can't get everything all the time, but you never know until you try. Yeah. So that's a lot of it for like meeting new people or seeing what opportunities a place has and going for it. That's great. And I know you recently made a mural for the new uh, Seattle Indian Health Board Clinic. So could you sort of talk about um, your process for making that and how it turned out? Yeah, well, I know that I had um, throughout the years, I've had some different contracts for different imagery with the Seattle Indian Health Board or with the Urban Indian Health Institute. And they really, it depends on what, if they want something really specific or do they just want me to make a pitch for something? And I had kind of gone off this idea of, because when I was back in, I believe it was 2018 or 2019, I was back, I was, I'm a part of the uh, Yahoo show, Indigenous Collective. And the, the story is told by Vi Hilbert of Yahoo which is a Lashut seed word for to do it, to have this unifying word of the peoples of the different coastal languages of the area, to go forward, to do it, and to, and to work together. And to me, I, you know, that was at my base core of what I was thinking of. And then I love incorporating the Northern Lights in my work recently. And the importance of local animals to the region and to the people, to the to different Coast Salish people of the area. That's kind of like the ideas of what I was hoping for and of the vibrant neons and really bright, vibrant colors to give that sense of these animals being alive and of also almost a sort of mythic feel to them and of what these animals mean to the cultures and their importance to the landscape and that's kind of how it started evolving is this sort of alive feeling of these animals and then at the very end of my painting what I did was I had sort of this at the bottom of my painting I have this black just straight black underneath the flowing water and underneath the salmon I just had black paint as a base and then I decided to incorporate the shoot seed to still pay, like to still pay forward the idea of the Yahoo word and of the different people of the area. And because 
this will be a new site planning for the Seattle Indian Health Board. And I wanted to show, I wanted to show how there are many people of the coastal areas that will probably go through those doors. And I wanted to show that some, I, I believe there are 15 different tribes of the areas around here. You know, some are a little bit northern, some a little southern from here. But I wanted to show in reference of the Lachute seed names for these people or of their tribal land. So I have those tribes in Lachute seed underneath the river. And that was, you know, that's something that was important for me to pay respect to where, to whose land I'm on, if that makes sense. And to maybe show some comfort for coastal people who go through those doors. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a wonderful idea. And it's so important. Um, I personally am really passionate about land acknowledgements. And so I think just recognizing that this is land that is shared by so many different tribes who have been here for so long is really vital to Indigenous advocacy. Um, I've also done some land acknowledgements at my school, and it was really nice to see that that really brought it to people's attention that, you know, we are on Indigenous land and Indigenous people are still here. So I'm really glad you incorporated that. That's wonderful. I'm glad that, you know, as, as a start, land acknowledgements are starting to take off more because I remember when I had <laughs> some people are not always so responsive to it mm -hmm. so I'm I'm happy to see that that's something people are starting with to start the conversation and to go from there you know yeah for sure and it's sort of been a work in progress too like the school districts have been catching on with it which is really nice to see too yeah yep all right, so I think I'll wrap up by asking you one more question, which is uh, what advice would you give to other artists and specifically Native artists who are trying to pursue their passion? Hmm. Don't let people say you can't do it because people will tell you no matter what. And my advice is to hold on very tight to why it is your passion. Why does it mean so much to you? Keep reminding yourself that. And remember the feeling of when you're making your art, whether it's through beadwork, sewing, quilting, you know, anything. You have to keep remembering why and to just hold on to that first and foremost, that why are you doing this? Because sometimes social media, for example, can really suck out the inspiration and the love that you have for it. And it becomes this numbers game. But I will say this, you know, like, they're just numbers, you know, but what should matter first is why you're doing it in the first place and to hold on to that mm -hmm. and to never stop creating. So well said. Absolutely. And I love how you also added your uh, touch of inspiration about social media, because that's definitely really relevant to our, our role today. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Any last comments or thoughts you'd like to share about your work? Hmm, gosh, <laughs> I don't think so. The last thing that I can think of is like, wow, I've almost been out of high school for about nine years now. <laughs> so it's it's crazy to see how much has changed. You know, they never would have thought of land acknowledgements back then. And to see youth like you taking charge and advocating, like this is amazing. 
and yeah native youth should definitely realize the power in their voices and you any youth really just keep doing what you're doing it's amazing and you you just keep following it where you feels like it's right and you'll never know where you'll end up so sure. I guess that's my final tidbit. Gosh, <laughs> I'm starting to feel old. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, that's really great advice though, for sure. Awesome. Well, it was so wonderful talking to you. And again, your work is so incredibly beautiful. Uh, so to all our listeners, please make sure to check out her website, gobsofcolor.com and her art store to check out her wonderful beadwork. And thank you so much, Megan, for coming. It was really nice talking to you. Yeah, thanks so much, Anushka. All right.